that when we open your word, we know that we can hear directly from you. And so, Spirit of God, we surrender to you for what you have to teach us this morning. And do that in Christ's name. Amen. So I asked you to name what is the most popular religion in America today? Some social media, football, self. There's actually a word that describes the number one religion in America today, and that is smorgasbord. Now, you know what a smorgasbord is. It's a cafeteria, okay? It's another, it's a Swedish name for a cafeteria. You go to a soup plantation, you're at a smorgasbord, all right? Now, when you and I go to smorgasbord, you go through the line and you choose a really healthy salad. Of course, yeah. And then the next person in our party also chooses another salad. But notice, they're very different. Put together according to your own tastes, put together according to what you want to eat. And then, of course, Raymond follows up third with what he <laughs> wants to eat. And the best way to describe the number one religion in America today is smorgasbord or cafeteria. Because that is what most Americans do. We assemble our own religion. We take random thoughts and random things that come into our life and stuff, and we begin to assemble our own religion. Which means that eventually we say, my God. And you hear people say that. My God would never do that. My God would do this. And the interesting thing is, do you realize you've created a God in your own image? This is my God. They did an interesting study on, on college students at one time, and early in the, in the semester, they had them describe themselves. Then later in the semester, they had them describe God. And the interesting thing is, the God they described was a little bit better than themselves, just a little bit better than themselves. The Greeks were the opposite, by the way. The Greeks, when they created their own gods, they created gods who, who had the worst of our behaviors in them exaggerated to extreme extents. For some reason, they needed their gods to be sinners. And so they created gods who were sinners. But that's what happens, is that most people in America today, it's not just America, all over the world, assemble their own smorgasbord, their own god, taking from stuff like Darwinism. I spoke to a woman this week. She's a graduate, very intelligent woman, graduated from a university, and then discovered that Darwinism is not fact, that it's actually a theory, and that the theory does not stand up to the facts. The facts contradict Darwinism all the way down to its core, and yet it's taught as fact. And so many people have Darwinism, that we've evolved from a little bit of mush that was down there in, in, in the jungle, and slowly it became monkeys, and then eventually somebody brought up the point, maybe monkeys evolved from us. <laughs> Who says we're the top of the pyramid? Maybe they're the, neck, the, the, the actual stop, okay? And so a lot of people have Darwinism in their minds, that there is no God, that we just sort of came into existence by accident, and we came from here. I'm astonished, and this is true to South, Southern California. How many of you believe in astrology? It's just nuts to have fully intelligent people say, what's your sign? And I go, um, I don't know. Do I have a sign on me? Are, are, are you Capricorn or Leo? And it's like, 
really? Are you asking me seriously with that? And then tell them, do you understand that there's no way that the stars arranged up there can possibly affect your personality and your life? Think about it. Turn your brain on and think about it. How can they possibly do that? Is there any intelligent research that has shown that if you're a Capricorn, you and a Leo will never live together because you can't get on each other's thing? I'm astonished. Card-carrying Christians believe in their horoscopes, the signs of the zodiac. It's like, come on, what are you doing? You hear the word karma around you often. Heard of karma, yeah. Do you realize that's Hinduism? You know, that, that there's this force. May the force be with you. There's a force out there that affects our lives, and if you do something wrong, that force is going to make you pay for it. And so karma will come your way. And then our, our usually, and it's actually fading quickly, People have a random Bible data that they add together and they create their own concept of God and of their religion. Now what's sad is how much of it is done without critical thinking involved. How much of it is done without saying, I need to integrate all this stuff into an understanding about life and about God and about myself. Most people just live that way. It's just random. Believe this kind of stuff and they have their, their little mixed together. When we were made in God's image, we were made as spirit beings. We will live forever. We were made as rational beings, as moral beings, emotional beings, creative beings, volitional beings. No, rational and volitional. We have the right and the, and the privilege and the opportunity to turn our brains on and think about the most significant facts of life. Interesting little, pers uh, little uh, thing, 100% of us die. 100%. Nobody has escaped it. And yet the vast majority of people live their life with their smorgasbord in their brains. And this is what I believe. But never think, what does it say about death? What does it say about the life to come? What I want to share with you today is a story, our, our VBS this week focused on the city of Athens. Well, actually, they focused on Paul's travels, and it was called Athens. So I thought, hey, let's take a look at what happened in Athens. And what you find when you get to Athens, Paul walked into a place very much like the United States today. He walked into a city where everybody had their little conglomeration of ideas about reality and about God and their own religions. And he walked in there and was astonished at how few of them turned their brains on and critically thought through what they believed. And the interesting thing about the Apostle Paul and the other apostles, if you read through the book of Acts, you discover something that they did as they traveled around. They didn't go around saying, my religion is better than your religion. My religion is better than your religion. They didn't go there. They spoke about one thing and one thing only, and it is the integrating truth of Christianity. We read, and Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Thank you. That's really exciting. Aren't you thrilled? <laughs> the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. The good news, somebody said, <laughs> you know, you don't want to make it too simple. The good news about Jesus, that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are then forgiven your sins and you will live forever. You don't want to make it too simple because too many people will believe it. Yeah, isn't that the point? That's the whole idea, is to make sure that it is simply understated that there was a turning point in history. 
there was an event that every single one of us has to come to grips with. And that is that a man was killed, was buried, and he rose again from the dead and offers eternal life to all who believe in him. And that sets the message of Christianity apart from every single religion in the world. Did you know that Muhammad died? And he's still dead. Did you know that Buddha died? And he's still dead. Did you know that Joseph Smith died? And he's still dead. All these religious leaders died and they stayed dead. Only one person came back from the death. And that is Jesus Christ. And that's our message, by the way. That's the core of our message. When we share the gospel with people, the point we're getting them to is to help them understand Jesus came back from the dead. What are you going to do with it? Jesus came back from the dead, and it changes everything about history, everything about our lives. Well, what happened is that as Paul was on his third missionary journey, he was thrown out of cities. <laughs> you read Paul, and he's stoned, and he's shipwrecked, and he's thrown out of cities, and he's stoned again, and he's left for dead. And you would think eventually he'd go, you know what, maybe I need to find another job. <laughs> or maybe God is telling me I need to do something else, because he went through so much suffering. And he was kicked out of two cities in a row, and they took him to Athens because he needed to be in a place where he could be safe. And when he got to Athens, he found that he is in the middle of the smorgasbord factory. We read this. While Paul was waiting for them, his other traveling companions in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now, idols were these statues and other kind of things made out of stone, made, covered with gold, covered with silver. And they were, they were designed, built by people who then would turn around and worship them. Do you see how weird that is? Is that you take stone and you carve stone and you cover it with gold or silver and then you go, you're my God. Oh, run my life. It's like, how dumb is that? How absolutely stupid is that? That you would create something of your own creation and then give it power over your life. What in the world is wrong with human beings that we do that? We do it. We have all kinds of mishmash idols in our brains. And we let them govern our lives without thinking them through. It's interesting. A, a visitor sometime, by the way, Athens at this point in time, was way beyond its glory days. The days of Aristotle and Plato and, and, the, and the great philosophers were 400 years in the past. Uh, it had been a place of, of tremendous art. It still was influential, but nothing new. It was just this big place where, that was living on the fumes of the past, and it had, at one time, been sort of the Ivy League of the, of the world. This is, I mean, the Ivy, the way, where you went to, for, for all education. This is one of those places, it was just running on fumes now, when Paul arrived. And one later on visitor said, you know what? You have more chances of running in, when you walk down the main street of Athens, you have more chance of running into a god or a goddess than into a human being. There were 10,000 people living in this city, and there were 30,000 idols. So obviously there was something wrong in these people's brains. In a place that should have been a place of great intellect, of great thinking, they had 30,000 idols that they worshipped. Now, we're not going to get into the depth of it, but there's, there's a group of people who controlled the thinking of the city. And these people had three things in common. One, they didn't believe in God. Number two... They had rigid limits on what you were allowed to discuss. 
rigid limits on what you were allowed to bring to them. As long as you stayed within the parameters of their religions, you were free to discuss anything you wanted to. But you were not allowed to step outside of the politically correct boundaries. Does this sound familiar at all to you? They had set up these boundaries that, that were held so rigid. And so these were people who didn't believe in God. These were people who had these severe limitations on what you were allowed to believe, what you're allowed to think, even in their presence. They loved to discuss stuff that re reinforced their bias. But you could not go outside of their bias at all. That's all you could do was make, entertain them by bringing up new stuff within the parameters of that. And the third thing is they didn't believe in a resurrection. The Greeks considered the spirit of a human being to be pure, but the body to be corrupt. Well, there's a sense in it. We can understand why they thought that. And so to them, resurrection was the most stupid idea, ridiculous idea. Who would want your body back again? Well, what they didn't know is that the body God's going to give us is going to be a way better body. 1 Corinthians 15, it's described as similar enough to your current body that when you run into me, you're going to go, Raymond, <laughs> boy, did God improve you, you know? <laughs> We're going to have bodies, but they're going to be resurrected bodies that will never again be corrupted at all. But they didn't, they, they had no, they'd never heard of this. And so to them, the whole idea of a resurrection was, was ridiculous. And Paul was distressed to see all of those idols. Why was he distressed? I think I'll tell you why. Because as the Spirit of God was working inside of him, he became more and more like Jesus. And as he became more and more like Jesus, the more disturbed he became at how people were worshiping false gods and how their eternity was in danger. And he was deeply distressed about that. Now, what Paul did, and you'll, you'll notice some of the words that pop up here, is as he begins to engage with the city of Athens, he says, turn your brains on. We need to start reasoning and thinking about what we believe. The first group of people, he, he turned them on and he said, I want you to reason from the revelation that God has given to us in the scriptures. What Paul did usually when he went into a city is he'd look for a synagogue. And he would start first with the Jews because they had the Old Testament scriptures. And he would start with the Old Testament scriptures and then explain Jesus to them. And so that's what he did here as well. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Now, when we talk about revelation, there's two kinds of revelation, two ways in which God has revealed himself. One is God has revealed himself to every single human being through nature and through our own conscience. So that there will never be anyone who will be able to stand before God and go, I didn't know you existed. Every culture would know it. In fact, it's an interesting thing that in many cultures, they know that God exists. But since he doesn't mess with them, they don't mess with him. They keep their distance from him because they'll worship the moon, they'll worship the stars, they'll worship the sun, they'll worship the rain, they'll worship all the things that mess with their lives. But they know there's a God behind everything and they tend to stay away from him. They suppress that knowledge because they don't want to go there. So there's natural revelation, but then there's special revelation. Special revelation is when God reveals himself to us personally and through the scriptures. And so what Paul was doing is he's reasoning. He's telling them, turn on your brain. And now let me explain to you who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's the one God promised would come. 
He may have gone to Isaiah 52 and 53 and explained to them that God said that the Messiah would take the sins of the world upon himself and that he would die to take the punishment for our sins and he would be resurrected. Go read it, Isaiah 52, 53, right there. In the Old Testament, my brother-in-law was Jewish and when he came to Christ, the day he did, we sat down in his living room and I said, I opened Isaiah 53 and I said, read I didn't give it to him. I held it. I read, listen to this. Where is this from? And I read it, and he said, I don't know, somewhere in the New Testament. I said, nope, 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 Old Testament. Isaiah said that the Messiah would take the punishment for our sins, that he would die, and that he would be resurrected again. It's all there. And I think that's where Paul, they would do that kind of thing. And he would reason with them. He's saying to them, God has given you truth. Now turn your brain on and think it through with me. But there were others who didn't have Old Testament scriptures. They had no knowledge at all. And in fact, we're moving in that direction as a culture. You go to Europe today, you deal with Europeans, they've got zero knowledge of anything biblical at all. It's just a blank slate when it comes to anything related to that. So what Paul did is in this case, he started to reason with the pagans who had no special revelation about God at all. And he started by reasoning with them from creation. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. I love that. That's what Paul would do, by the way. When he reasoned, what he would do is present a truth, and then he would engage in debate. Peter tells us to do the same thing. If somebody asks you, what do you believe? You need to be able to explain to them what you believe. Do it with gentleness and respect, but do it. Be able to explain what you believe. And so that's what Paul was doing, and so he gets involved with this debate. Some of them asked, what is this babbler? trying to say. Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Now notice that. They had the boundaries, politically correct boundaries. You're allowed to debate religion as long as you stay within the Epicurean and Stoic uh, beliefs, whatever they were. We won't go there, but still. They set up these boundaries. And they said, anybody who goes outside of it, the word babbler was a word that was used for, for like a bird will go around and pick different seeds and stuff. And they're going, what's this guy doing? He's picking up stuff out there that is not allowed. You're not allowed to discuss that. You're not allowed to bring it in here. And he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Ha, now. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. That's what Paul did. He preached it. He proclaimed it. He told them about it. In our day and age, we're told you should share the gospel. Share the gospel. You share your cookie recipe, and you share your Legos, and you share the gospel. It's the most astounding truth imaginable. And so as they went around, he didn't do... Let me... Can I tell you about Jesus? (laughs) Let me tell you about Jesus. He's God and he died to take your sins and he rose from the dead. What are you going to do with it? It's like, okay? That was his approach. You'll find the apostles did that. They weren't sharing the gospel. They were proclaiming the gospel. The word world needs to hear this. Now you do it with gentleness and respect, but do it as you go. And so it was disturbing to them. This man came back from the dead. What in the world are you talking about? Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see in every way that you're very religious. Now, here's what happened. That several of them then took him to the Areopagus. <laughs> You've seen 
the, uh, uh, what's it called, that big beautiful building? Parthenon. The Parthenon sat on top of a hill, and that hill was where they held court. And that hill up at the top there, which in the word Eropagus means top of the city, they, that's where they held court. And when he was taken there, it's not clear whether he was under arrest or whether he was taken there just to debate with him. He gets away, so it doesn't seem they had arrested him, but he was there to debate with him. And he stands up in the midst of all the leaders of the city at this point in time. And then he touches on something interesting. He says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. It's kind of like, yeah, right, got 30,000 things. How, how could you possibly miss that? There's a thing in, in communicating with people, a, a concept, where you find a point of contact in their lives. You find some place where you can begin to discuss issues with them. And in this case, Paul steps into the one factor that still was permitted to swirl about. And that was, where did we come from? How did we get here? And so he's going to step into that spot. When you're sharing the gospel with somebody someday, watch for that. That God sometimes just opens a door. There's something that they ask you. There's something that happens. And it's an open door for you. So he takes the fact that this is a place flooded with, with these deities. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you, okay? He said, you have this altar to an unknown God. Now, I think what they did is they said, well, you got all these gods. What if we missed one? Oh, dear Lord, what if we missed one of these gods? And then God gets mad at us. Let's build an altar to an unknown God just in case that unknown God gets mad at us and causes us to suffer. So they had it, but they didn't know who this unknown God was. And so Paul says, okay, I'm going to fill in the blanks. I'm going to tell you who this unknown God is. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself self gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He says, now, this God is a totally different God. You can't contain him in an idol. He's the God who created everything. And he is not a God that you can appease. He's beyond you. He actually goes on and explains to them, this God actually determines where you live, where the nations are, who the nations are. He's completely sovereignly in control of all of history. Totally astonishing thought to them. This God is not a God who's contained in a little box, but the God who created everything in the universe. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. It shows the, the education and the intelligence of Paul, okay? That at this point in time, he's obviously read some of their, of their uh, literature. So he's able to dip into the literature and say to them, turn your mind on, okay? Some of your poets have already said that there is a God and we are his offspring. But here's the bad news. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands every people everywhere to repent. You go, Paul, please don't be so politically incorrect. You should not be telling people that you know the truth and that they must listen to your truth. He's going, I happen to know the truth, and let me tell you something. God is tired of this nonsense. He's tired of you and your stupid idol worship. 
God is not going to let this go on. In fact, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed. He said, God's not going to let this go on and on and on. There's coming a day when all of us are going to be judged by a man he has appointed. And at this point in time, you would think they'd be going, um, who's this man that you're talking about? Cool, hey? He starts where they are, and he leads them toward Jesus Christ. And so now he reasons with them from Jesus' resurrection. For he has said today when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. The thing you need to understand, okay, is that the resurrection is an established fact in history. It wasn't invented by followers of Jesus Christ. It wasn't invented later by the church. It was an established fact. Forty days, fifty days, after the, the resurrection, the apostle Peter stood up in front of a crowd of thousands with all the religious leaders who'd been in charge of putting Jesus to death. And in front of them, Peter said, he came back from the dead. And you would think the crowd would go, ah, <laughs> that's such a stupid thing. Ah, that's nonsense. That didn't happen. And the religious leaders would stone him and say, stop that nonsense. Dead silence. They knew he had come back from the dead. 3,000 people were saved that day. 3,000 people believed that day because they knew he had come back from the dead. And you think they would be going, oh, man, that's incredible. How do I believe and get eternal life? When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. Now notice that. Some of them rejected it right away. That's fine. You have the right to do it. They rejected, sneered, and mocked him for doing it. When you share the gospel, by the way, when you tell people about your belief in Jesus Christ, be prepared that sometimes they're going to get mad. Sometimes they're going to sneer. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to mock you. But if you're telling them the truth, just suck it up. Just take it, okay? Because at that point in time, the responsibility is now in their laps. They've been given the truth. And now it's theirs, and you've given it to them. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. A lot of us delay. Oh, interesting. Hmm, okay, I, I'm going to think about it. But what we really mean is, hmm, um, I'm not going to do anything about it. However, at that, Paul left the council, so he wasn't under arrest. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius and a member of the Oropagus, who was a member of the Oropagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others who believed in Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting. Day of Pentecost, 3,000. On this day, only two. Okay? So did Paul fail? No. See, our job is to proclaim the gospel and to leave the results to God. We can't convert people. We can't make them believe. We can't force them to believe. That's entirely in their hands and God's. And so, but our job is to make sure we've proclaimed and taught the gospel as clear as possible. So, what's my rational response to what happened in Athens? First, to think for myself. Do not allow the world to dictate to you where your brain is allowed to go. Do not allow the world to put blinders on you and say to you, you're not allowed to think. God gave us the incredible capacity to think. Yesterday, we celebrated 50 years of us landing on the moon. 
Do you know how astonishing that was? Eight years before, President Kennedy said, we're going to put a man on the moon and bring him back. They had nothing at that point in time. There was no way they could do that. Absolutely nothing. That little spaceship would need a computer on board, and at that time, computers would have filled this room. How do you take a computer that fills a room and squeeze it down and put it on board, a little thing that's going to go all the way there? There was no, you know, anybody who was thinking would have said to him, hello, what are we going to do? Put in a U-Haul behind us and we'll tow it along with us? The computers back in those days, you remember the punch cards? You'd, you'd put all your stuff on punch cards, feed them in, and then you'd go home and come back the next day and maybe get an answer. They needed answers in nanoseconds as they were flying toward the moon. They needed a computer that could do that. By the way, your iPhone has probably got more power in it than the computer they had. But still, it had to be shrunk down to something that would fit in something like a suitcase for us to get. Human beings have got this incredible capacity to think. And we need to think, especially about the most important things in life. We need to turn our brains on and think. And then as we think, to come to a reasoned decision about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us has to deal with that and answer what happened. Paul writes this, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, there's 500 people you can go and ask. It really did happen. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Do you know who James was? Jesus' brother. James did not believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. He wrote the letter of James in our Bibles. And actually, it should be called Jacob because his name was Jacob, but they called it James after King James. That's another story for another time. But James was hostile to Jesus. He didn't believe in him as the Savior until after the resurrection. And Paul was killing Christians. He was leading the persecution of Christians until he ran into Jesus on the road to Damascus and then was converted. And so what you've got, historical fact that, that we have to come to grips with. What happened on Mars Hill was that Paul came to people whose brains had been set in what do you call it when, when, your, when your brain just goes into sleep mode on your computer? That's what it happened. Their, their brains were... What? No, sleep. You know, sleep mode. Yeah, suspended animation. People whose brains had been put to sleep by their, their, their philosophies. And he stirred and stirred and stirred them to think. And that's what the gospel should do to all of us. Stir us to think and to turn our brains on. If you come into my office, you'll notice that there's a guitar leaning against the wall. <laughs> and people say, oh, do you play guitar? And the answer is, um, well, only if I can see what chord to play when. And if you shut the book, even if I've played it a thousand times, I have no idea where to go next. And I can play chords C, F, and G seventh, and I think E, but that's about it. And D, I can play just a few chords. Now, the reason I've got a guitar is when I started a church in South Africa, we had nobody to lead worship, so I had to do it all. And so I went and bought a guitar and taught myself those chords just so I could play it. But you know what the worst thing is? How do you tune a guitar? 
I mean, oh, for crying out loud, I had to have a little tuning pipe. Beep, beep, trying to do it. It's like, oh, please. It was the most impossibly difficult thing to get that stupid guitar tuned. And I found out that there's this little gizmo. Oh, my goodness me. And you put it on your guitar and you turn it on and it says to you, there you are. There you are. There you are. You have one of those in your brain. You have one of these inside of your head that tells you when you hear truth. And when you hear truth, this little gizmo inside of you, your rational being, will be able to say, that's true. That's true. But it's not enough to know that's true. We have to be able to say, that's true, and I believe it, and I'm going to live in the light of it. So Mars Hill pushes us to think, stirs us to think, so that we make a decision. One of my professors told us, Gentlemen, your job is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> and that's what Paul was doing. He was afflicting the comfortable. Let's pray together.